Hey there, I'm Jo, and this is Looking Outside. Join me and some of the most influential and original thinkers in business and beyond as we explore fresh takes on familiar topics. Hey everyone, welcome back to Looking Outside. Today we're talking about worlds colliding, the world of snacking, traditionally all about that quick fix sugar hit, and health, and what is right for me, what is right for the planet. Joining me for the conversation about food that's better for you is founder and CEO of Rind Snacks. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks, Joanna. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being a part of this. So let's start with a bit of an introduction about yourself. I have been a lifelong snacker. Uh, I think everybody is, especially so during COVID when we were all cooped up. I expanded my my palate and a lot of different snacks. I've been passionate about this industry of, you know, better for you food, food as medicine, food that serves a function pretty much my whole life. Um, I was born and raised in South Florida, in Miami. I was surrounded as a kid by an abundance of tropical fruits, which I think colored my, my views of food and freshness. Um, we had a mango tree in our backyard, a guava tree. It was really kind of an embarrassment of riches from a tropical fruit perspective. And when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s in, in Miami, it was a bit wild and untamed. Not everything was like Miami Beach and built up. There were lots of <laughs> vacant lots that I riding my bike around and, you know, coming across some really interesting animals and flora and fauna. And so I think there was some of that. And then my father's grandmother, my great grandmother, was a real health food pioneer before kale was cool, as I like to say. She lit, looms very large in our family's sort of history, had a health food store of her own uh, that she owned and operated in around the Great Depression era in Michigan. And because she lived to 100 and was so full of vitality later in life, I was a very intrigued, you know, six, seven, eight-year-old kid every visit with her. And she left a big impression on me and her philosophy to Whole Foods including the nutrient-rich rind, really stuck with me. So that's the long arc of my background. I think you can see why there's a lot of intersections toward fruit, health, optimism, and, you know, real lessons on what food truly can be uh, at its best. Yeah, fantastic. And um, just tell us briefly about rind and what, what rind is all about. Yeah, I'd love to. So... Rind, like a lot of ventures, started as a side hustle in 2017 while I was working for a mutual fund in New York where I had been for almost two decades. So I had, you know, I had my head down working at an incredible firm surrounded by people that inspired me and fired me up. It wasn't your typical, I hated the people I worked with. It was quite the opposite. I was learning constantly how to research companies, how to interview management teams and really think about big opportunities from nothing more than ideas. However, what I found was I wanted to be on the other side of the table. I wanted to be building and doing the, some of the dreaming of my own and then trying to operate. And I felt like I wasn't getting that sitting, you know, in a 
in a skyscraper in Manhattan quizzing somebody about their business. So in the summer of 17, you know, I had been covering for the finance firm, the food and beverage industry as an analyst. So an area I love, uh, especially in combination with the background I just shared growing up, that I started to ideate and I had a notebook filled with snack concepts, mostly products as opposed to brands, as is often the case in the beginning, that I thought would be cool or, you know, participate in a big trend. And it wasn't until I came back from a business trip to the West Coast in California, where I happened upon a farmer's market, in particular, a, a, a stall of a gentleman selling dried persimmons, which is like the centerpiece fruit of rind in many ways. And I fell in love with it. And I came back to New York, really energized and said, I'm going to start a whole new company around persimmon chips. And my wife looked at me like I was crazy. And that was just <laughs> way too narrow of a concept. So we fleshed it out some more and decided there was something really universal and intuitive about the rind and the power that's in that peel. Yeah, incredible. And now you're doing tremendous things. And it's just amazing to think that the the habits that you were taught when you were growing up, probably not even taught like a top-down push, but just the way that your family was living was healthier and that, that stayed with you and you created something from that spark of inspiration. Which leads me to a question that I have for you about that because obviously growing up in Miami and that lifestyle of eating better, I can imagine that your dad, so your, your great-grandmother, she was your father's mother, he would have been quite healthy as well. So you lived, you grew up in a fairly healthy household. And health is not just about obviously what you eat but also what you do and how you connect with your community and everything. And you can see that that's really flowed through in what you do also and how you give back through Rind but also in your, the other initiatives that you have, which we'll talk about a little bit later so how do you, how have you tried to retain that coming into New York for the last 20 years? Yeah, great question. I, you've hit upon a point, which is that health isn't just, it, health is a lifestyle. It is not just about the ingredients you put in your body. It, I think, is an attitude. I think it's a way that you experience, a lens through which you kind of experience the world. And I think part of being healthy is also being really self-aware what is working for you, what makes you happy, what makes you fulfilled personally and professionally, because um, that is all sustenance in its own way, right? It's not, it's different kind of calories, it's like emotional trees. And it's <laughs> what I wasn't experiencing at work, as, as happy as I was there with the challenge of the work, the great people that I was around, entrepreneurs I got to meet as a result of it, was a sense of um, creativity and wonder that was my own. So I was, it took me 20 years to realize that, but I felt like something was missing. And in order to be really healthy with my professional career, it required a change. And that was shaking things up, doing something really risky and different and starting a company where I really had no prior experience, except a lot of, a lot of snacking and daydreaming and, you know, talking to great people. And so you touched on something there, which uh, actually I had written down as a question for you because you went into, it was in investment management that you were in and you studied literature, if I stalked you correctly on LinkedIn. Not only literature, I studied 
Spanish literature. Uh, <laughs> I in college I took a couple classes with one teacher. She was incredible. I loved. I I had studied Spanish a little bit in high school. I grew up in South Florida, where there's a big Latin American community, and I really wanted to hone that skill and did a semester abroad in Spain. All that good stuff. So. <laughs> Not exactly the roadmap for any entrepreneur, let alone a food entrepreneur, but why not? If you can't do that while you're in college, what, are, what, what else are you going to do? Yeah. Well, also, you know, that kind of diversity of thinking can spark some really great, unique ideas. So obviously it's, it's worked for you, but I'm curious, you know, did, have you, you know, in your quest to create something and to retain a sense of creativity, have you felt like you've been able to manage the, I guess, the the more practical side of your brain, which is probably where the investment management side sat for a very long time with now being able to go into more creative areas that allow you to like literally create a product and a brand? Uh, I actually don't think I have done that quite well. I think what I've recognized is where my strengths are and really sort of supported that you know, the weakness areas with great people that complement some of the, the the creativity and sort of spitball nature of ideas that I like to throw out. And one of which is my brother-in-law. So my wife's brother, who was also in finance, but in a different segment of the field. So mindset was what could go right. And his mindset was what could go wrong. And we work together as like a management team, a leadership team, and it works really, really well. And it's nice that you've kept it in the family as well. And I know you mentioned like before, obviously your wife had something to say about the the product idea that you first came up with. And I know there's some videos of you with your children as well, promoting the brand, which is adorable. So do you you find it is a bit of a family collective endeavor? Yes. For better or for worse, it is because... Being an entrepreneur, you know, later in life, not that it's so late, but not in my 20s when I had far fewer responsibilities and didn't have kids. When you're starting out a company in your late 30s, early 40s, like I was, you're taking your family along for the ride. the downs, the sacrifices, uh, the crazy hours, the trips. Life is not a straight line. Life is never linear. But when you really get off the treadmill, if you've been on for a couple decades doing one thing in one career, even if you're advancing and you <laughs> you make a right turn, your family's going to feel that one way or the other, whether it's first and foremost in the pocketbook, and, you know, in the wallet, and then secondarily in the lifestyle. It's hard work. It's a lot of overcoming a lot of curveballs that are going to be thrown at you. Mm-hmm. Nothing is easy. I wanted my kids to get a front row seat to the ability to take an idea in their head and if they believe in it passionately enough and they put in the work that they can make anything happen. And so I hope they're getting that lesson through what we're doing. A lot of those pictures and videos you reference are some of the early years of having them sort boxes with me, taste test with me some first batches, visit a manufacturing facility, attend a trade show, work a booth, work a demo, 
And now they really feel like Rind is theirs uh, as much as it is, you know, my team's. Yeah, that's that's incredible, and I mean, so 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 empowering for them to grow up with that as children, to have that message, but also to have that firsthand experience of being a part of that, the journey of the growth of the company being like relatively new, twenty seventeen. You mentioned, yep. so they they can see the year on year growth and the momentum that it's getting, and you know, when you put effort into something that you're passionate about, how success can come from that. I'm curious then, so you went from being inside of a, a business structure for about 20 years where you were almost like an input into something that someone else had created, not a cog in the machine because that's, you know, that's where I am at the moment. I wouldn't say I'm a cog, but you know, you're a part of helping to propel something that already exists versus now you're creating and leading your own structure and creating your own momentum. And obviously that comes with a lot of pressure and a lot of responsibility and hard, hard work. As yeah. I said before, it's not easy. So what's been the biggest change in yourself and your habits that you've had to make in making that adjustment? Yeah, it's funny. Like it's both exhilarating and terrifying at the same time, starting a company, running a company, because at the end of the day, nothing's going to happen unless you do it. And that can be, depending on the mood or how you're looking at it, like, wow, it's all on me. Or, oh my God, it's all on me, right? Like there's a different way to say that. It does require a new set of discipline, uh, disciplines, I should say. And, you know, shoring up of skills that were probably there, and I think are there in everybody, but don't get as much time and attention at the, you know, at the mind gym, if you will. For me, that was leading people, right? I was always looking for mentorship and I never thought of being a mentor myself. And then when we hired our first outside, you know, team member outside of my brother-in-law, you know, who's a partner, it dawned on me that they need modeling, they need career development, they need motivation, they need to understand the tone and the culture set by me. And I just, it was much more of a, I, w- I had been taking a lot in, as opposed to giving a lot because I was focused at a different stage of my career of moving ahead and learning and understand how this works, that works. And what I have really worked hard at in, in finding time is listening to the team, managing and motivating. And it's not like an expressed effort or exercise in leadership. It's just when I sat down to write core values, I never thought I'd be that kind of a leader to be like, okay, here are the core values of this company. It felt so hokey to like try to write these out. And it took a long time and I did it. And they really stayed true to what it was when the first employee that joined us, I felt it was important to get that down on paper, share it with them. I was like, these are the values by which we're going to build this company and abide by them. And some are more rigid than others, but this is how I think we should be building a company. And it starts with authenticity and kindness. And we have a, a, you know, really taking big, bold bets and not being afraid to fail. You know, it was like all these where, yes, they sound a little anodyne, but it's the company that I would want to be a part of if I were joining Rind and looking from the outside and coming in and feeling excited to be a part of something that can make sense 
our number one core value. It remains super cheesy, but I don't care because I love it. Uh, and it's kill them with rhymeness. And our, <laughs> what I love the most is my team. When we get a customer service email or when we have something where we need to make right or there's a shipment delay, my team springs into action and they just on Slack and over email, like, I will KWR this customer. I will take care of this situation. And KWR is like, that is our operation killing with Rhineness. Make this right. Go over the top to turn poor experience into something magical and earn and loyalty as a result. That's lifelong. I hope that love that. Kill them with Ryan Ness. Kill them, kill them, kill them with Ryan Ness. And what I love about it, I'll say one more thing on it, because it's intentional that when you combine, you know, such a strong negative sounding thing like kill them, which is <laughs> with competitive and feels one-sided yeah. and zero-sum, with kindness, you know, you really can remain scrappy and competitive, but do it in the nicest way possible and be aware and mindful of all the partners in the ecosystem that you're interacting with. And if you're going to lead with kindness and rhymeness, as we call it, you know, good things will avail themselves. Yeah. Beautiful. And also rhymeness, right? Like, so you're saying stay true to exactly. how the brand was created and what you stand for and do it, do it the right way, exactly. which makes it more genuine as well. Which leads me beautifully to uh, a question that I had for you about, I guess, what's next. So, you know, you said the, the magic marker, the future is unfolding and the growth is coming, which is amazing. But for some, some startups that are providing a really differentiated offer, particularly ones that are healthier and are competing with the big players or are more planet friendly, like, you know, waste made components, upcycled Snacking is a great example of that. They have been bought out by the big players. I mean, Honest Tea kind of comes to mind, being bought out by Coke and then recently deleted. At the moment, we've got Aesop, uh, which is not a small company, but, you know, a small Australian company that made a big has just been bought by L'Oreal. And the response to that is like, well, that brand is dead now. Mm. So if you can aim to the success of being bought by one of the big players, there's this risk that you'll lose the rhineness, you'll yeah. lose what the company was created with or potentially risk its deletion. So do you, do you kind of have that in the back of your mind? Yeah. By the way, I love Aesop. I hope they don't change. Um, I, saw, I saw that <laughs> headline really, really big. Mm. Look, I think we have so much in front of us to worry about that I choose to focus on what we can control and not think about exit scenarios. I love building and we are fairly in what feels like the top of the first inning. Even though the brand is five plus years old, we really hit the market and we're kind of born in COVID. That was our first launch into additional brick and mortar retail. Um, it's when I left my job and there was no safety net. So I kind of really, the clock really started, I believe in the beginning of 2020. So here we sit three years later. So long as I feel like we're in the first inning, I am almost indifferent to where the pathways go so long as we control how we bring product to market and delight and innovate and, and our fans. If chimps present themselves, that makes sense for my team, for my family, for our investors. That'll be because we're doing something right and someone sees value. What I hope 
is by strategically building and architecting this business with my brother-in-law and therefore a family business in many ways is to create something where if it's going great, why sell? Let's build something enduring of our own. Let's build a big snacking company that can look opportunistically at other snacking brands and bring them into the ride this fold. Um, let's build it differently. I know it sounds ridiculous to say that, but I, I think much more about entrepreneurs that have come before me in the natural food space, in the mold of Daniel Lubetsky from Kind, or you know Hamdi from Chobani, Chobani remaining independent still, Kind being a part of Mars, but they are still heavily identified and infused with the the personality and culture of their founders. And I love that. And I feel like they've built enduring brands that they might change hands, they might get subsumed, but they stand on their own. And I, that is what my biggest goal in, in all with Rind is to create something that is a brand that means something, stands for something, in this case, sustainable snacking, using the whole fruit, letting nothing go to waste. And that can therefore be around decades you know, from now. Yeah, definitely. I hope so too. I really like that idea of, you know, this the family run uh, company that takes in other great small brands that have launched with yeah. a similar mission. I think that that's, that's definitely a mission that's worthy. And you mentioned it before, but, you know, there are a lot more players that are launching in this space. Uh, a lot of great new innovation that's coming through, thinking about, you know, using the whole fruit or thinking about how we can be more responsible, more sustainable, not just with nutrition, but also with the waste components in our food system. So a lot of great innovation coming from that space. And it's it's kind of a slightly different way to think about packaged foods in particular, because packaged foods is just so systematic and standardized. And you know, this is the shape, this is the color, this is the process. It's all about that kind of mass production. Um, so you're really, you know, doing something quite different also in making people think differently about what they can eat and what is good for them. Do you feel like that perception of food is also changing at 100%. the moment? hundred percent. And I actually think it's a major change for the positive. I think it's like all change, it's generational in here where, you know, there was a time when processed food was viewed as a luxury like Wonder Bread and when microwave came in and TV dinners and everything that could be standardized and, you know, nutrition and vitality was more like a convenience, a luxury of convenience, as opposed to authenticity and purity of ingredients. That has obviously shifted dramatically in favor of a young generation that cares about not just what they're putting in their bodies, but how those companies and brands are bringing product to market, what their footprint is from an environmental you know, stewardship standpoint, the transparency of supply chains and supply lines and sourcing practices, air trade, et cetera. All of that I think is amazing to be participating in as wind at our back because it's what I personally believe, believe is right for the food system. It's not taking shortcuts, it's embracing imperfections when you're dealing with a raw material provided by Mother Nature, they're not supposed to look alike. Batch to batch, season to season, crop to crop, 
There's a reason why the wine industry is as varied as it with different vintages being of higher renown than others. And sometimes you get dealt difficult harvest seasons and you may have to chase the sun a little bit and travel internationally, pick different sourcing partners, or choose innovation that is far more abundant and fruits that are more readily available year round or less fickle. But it's a challenge and I love the challenge because the alternative is uh, taking shortcuts where you chin the product with preservatives or added sugar, which is, as you can imagine, the opposite of the rind way and the core values around you know, authenticity and being real. So I think it's phenomenal, the change of moving from distrust of food that is a little bit cosmetically imperfect to the distrust meter moving toward the overly processed side, where if it looks too good to be true and if every little extruded puff coming off the line looks exactly the same, it's probably because it is no longer real. And I think real among the discerning generation of consumers coming up is going to win the day. Yeah. And these days you don't have to make a compromise either because like Ryan tastes delicious and it's natural, good for you and making the most out of the food system, but you're still getting an awesome, convenient, delicious snack. So definitely. Which is what tells me how crazy I think food, big food, I won't name names, probably had in terms of a hold on driving the trends in the industry where consumers prior to probably maybe the internet where like information has been democratized, I think people would get their whatever trends that big companies wanted to innovate around were what ended up on shelves. And it's why the dry industry in particular somehow along the way became hijacked by confectioners and turned into anything but thing resembling real fruit. It was funny, right? It was like there was a lot of <laughs> roll-ups and, and gummies and things mushed in a ball or a bar or a bite. And it's like, I don't see these things growing on trees this way. And why are we, why is there so much effort going into cartoonizing something that should be the ultimate single ingredient snack? So that is what I'm trying to do is reclaim the narrative for Rind back to the real. I think consumers are really all about it. And when they see it, it may not look like the most aesthetically beautiful piece of sliced snackable orange, but there's beauty in that, right? Beauty in the imperfect. And I think, cause that's, we all are. And so I think it's, it's the right time, it's the right brand and the right snack for the right time. I know that you, you do not just rinds, you don't just run that business, you also have a couple of side hustles that I wanted to ask you about. Uh, board member and founding partner in Naturally, New York, founder and president of Friends of Chelsea Green. So uh, is that a, a way for you to stay connected to the community and, and kind of give back? Or is it also about like spending time with diverse minds and broadening your perspective? Yeah, you know, it's neither had an agenda per se. It was something I, like a lot of things, there's like a little bit of a thread and I start to pull on it and then pull on it some more. And then I'm just like all day doing this. In the case of Natural New York, that is a community of like-minded food and beverage entrepreneurs. And, and service providers in the CPG ecosystem here in 
my home net, my hometown, home market, and we all support each other. There's a lot of great programming, networking, you know, putting myself out there was one of the biggest lessons I learned is there's just no downside in pushing yourself to go to that extra event or answer that extra email as uncomfortable or so awkward as it may be. Only good things will come from just putting yourself in that position. The Friends of Chelsea Green was a completely different odyssey outside of snacks that frankly predated Rind, but in many ways gave confidence to leave my job and build Rind. Chelsea Green is a nonprofit organization in Lower Manhattan that started as a steering committee that I I spearheaded in 2010 to build a new public park in the middle of our neighborhood on what had been a vacant lot. And it had been a vacant lot for almost 60 years. And worse than that, it had been owned by the Department of Sanitation. So it was like a trash strewn lot. And think it, you know, like like anything, inertia can take over, whether in the for-profit sector or the not-for-profit sector, and people just assume the city or business or somebody who is connected to this piece of property has the best interest in mind and is going to develop the best thing for that space. And it's like, well, I don't think that's how anything works. I think it takes a lot of people to stand up and make some noise. It's a founder of a grassroots movement to build a park or, uh, you know, build a, a fruit snack company. That was the first real adventure. It took, it took almost 10 years, but just before COVID in 2019, we had the ribbon cutting for this incredible new park that has become such a treasure in this neighborhood. If you were to see it, it's teeming with kids uh, all day, every day. And never in my wildest dreams would I have imagined that this idea to <laughs> transform something that was an eyesore in our neighborhood could take off and become a bit of a movement. So incredibly gratifying experience. And it was around the time that as that was getting off to a better position and of funding and getting built that I needed a new project. I needed to be doing weird, impossible things and shaking up, shaking up the status quo. And that was around the time I started yeah. And I mean, what a great way to, to kind of almost prove it to yourself as well, that when you do get a great, great idea that benefits, not just you, but others as well, like can make it, make it happen and yeah. turn the impossible into the possible. Yeah. That was kind of our mantra was make it happen. Like no one else is going to do it when we built that park. Mm. And someone who was a, a real close partner of mine in that effort expressed it far more articulately than I can. And when said, most of the time, we don't really know our neighbors, right? We kind of, especially in New York, where it's just like, you grunt, you kind of have your head down, <laughs> everyone's busy and stressed, and it's like a pressure cooker. But the people you see at your coffee shop and, you know, picking up the paper, walking their dog, when you rally and organize and do great things together, get to know your neighbor in a totally different way than the perfunctory cup of coffee line. And it was such an, ex, you know, a horizon expanding experience. And I am not the type of extrovert who seeks that out. I just, <laughs> I, it happened because a lot of people wanted to see this turn into a park. And the more it grew, the more wonderful relationships and connections 
I came into, and it's been the exact same thing with Brian. It's, and I think about it, I could have, I could be right now in another alternate universe at my desk in finance, working on an amazing new company, feeling really exhilarated, challenged, but I would have missed out on thousands of new relationships and development of my own skills that have enriched my life far more than my wallet that I wouldn't trade for it. Yeah, beautiful. I love that. And I particularly like that you're you're talking not just to making things happen, but making connections happen, which is a very nice segue to the last question that I have for you. So it could be a connection network that you have, or it could be something completely different is what your go-to is when you're trying to gain that kind of fresh outside perspective and look outside. Yeah, I love that. Just before we started this uh, recording, I, I mentioned an article I read about the defense looking outside the window. And I think I had always been a, a bit of a restless mind and a daydreamer. And this article reinforced for me that not all looking out the window is, you know, an exercise in time waste. Anything is actually thought clearing. It's almost like mm-hmm. when you, you know, have so many windows open and the browser <laughs> And you delete cat in the cache or whatever, or you close it all. And it's like, my computer's running faster. And like, wow, everything is kind of like humming. I feel like in our lives today, we probably have a million metaphorical browsers open and windows open. And we kind of forget the difference between work and busyness. And I think the reset for me is I love the outdoors. I shared that I, when I was a kid, I'd walk outside till every last ray of sunshine. And I feel the same way. Sun is pouring in right now. And I'm like, man, I kind of want to go for a run right now. And I think it would be <laughs> clearing, even though I have a million things to do. It's like, if it's nice out and I'm not out, I am, man, the FOMO is real. So looking out the window, <laughs> not being uh, afraid to daydream a little bit, because that's actually when you're probably going to come up with your best ideas and your best work. Mm, daydreaming is definitely underrated for sure thank you so much for being a part of this conversation um rind is obviously available in over ten thousand locations in the u.s now which is incredible so get get killed by rindness go and get some rind i've been inspired by what you're doing for a really long time huge congratulations on everything and thank you so much for being on the show it's been my pleasure joanna and thank you for reaching out to me and uh, inviting me to be on as a guest appreciate it Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, or share the show, and I will see you next time. Until then, keep looking outside.